Welcome to another podcast episode of DIY Guitar Making. I also produce video episodes of DIY Guitar Making live in the workshop. To find both the podcasts and the videos all in one place, go to DIYGuitarMaking.com. You can even subscribe to the email list there to receive new episodes, both the videos and the podcasts, directly in your inbox as they come out. Again, that's DIYGuitarMaking.com. And with that, let's get to the show. Okay, so first, a little background on woodworking saws in general. One of the first things that you will encounter when you're looking up woodworking saws is the difference between Japanese saws and Western saws. These are really two different styles of woodworking. The primary difference, you don't have to get too hung up on this, but the primary difference is that the Japanese saws cut on the pull and the Western saws cut on the push. This is a generality. Sometimes the rule is broken, of course, but in general, that sort of categorizes the two types. In addition to that, you'll notice that Japanese saws tend to be a lot thinner and flexible, and also they have a very long sword-like handle, whereas Western saws have more of a pistol grip style handle. All of these differences that I'm mentioning all relate back to that different cutting direction. So the Japanese saws are actually designed to be used differently. They're designed to be used without the aid of a bench vise or some sort of work holding mechanism. A lot of Japanese woodworking is actually done by holding the workpiece essentially against your body, using your body in some way to brace the workpiece and so you need your saw to cut on the pull so that you are actually pulling the workpiece against your body rather than pushing it away from yourself. It would be very difficult to use a western style saw which cuts on the push if you're using your body as a part of your work holding mechanism. Another primary difference too is you'll notice western saws tend to be a lot thicker and they even have a rib at the top, usually, if we're talking about a dovetail saw or a back saw, there will be a nice firm rib at the top of the saw, which prevents it from flexing and gives it some serious rigidity. Now, most people have both Western-style saws and Japanese saws, myself included. I don't actually use those Japanese saws in the manner that they were designed as far as, you know, propping the workpiece against my body or anything like that. And I don't really know many people who do, but those saws still find a lot of uses, and that's why you see them on the market so frequently. They still find a lot of uses in a Western-style shop, which does incorporate a lot of bench vices and clamps and things like that. I use clamps like MAD and vices, and I still use and find a lot of uses for Japanese-style saws. I mentioned all that background on them in the beginning, really just to give you um, an interesting story about the difference between those two types of saws, and to give you just a little cool anecdote about the Japanese traditions. But if we're thinking in more utilitarian terms, you are going to find that both of these styles of saws will 
be useful in your shop regardless of your style of building. I use a lot of small Japanese style saws. I have a uh, curved edge mini saw that I particularly like. I have uh, several different Dazuki saws. I have a large Japanese pool saw. But then I also have several dovetail saws. I have a back saw, um, a carcass saw, which is basically another type of back saw. So long story short here, you don't actually have to make a decision between Western style saws and Japanese saws. And there isn't really any difficulty between switching between using the two. It's not like using imperial measurements and metric and constantly switching between those two. Switching between these saws is very natural. So you will likely end up, like most people, with both in your shop. All right, so now I'm going to go down this list that I have here in front of me and talk about just a small handful of saws that one might need when getting started in guitar building. I'm not going to get into all of the saws that I have because that would not be very helpful or interesting, and you'd probably turn off the podcast pretty quickly. We're just going to talk about some basic saws. We're going to talk about the razor saw, dovetail saws, back saws, Japanese pool saws, the coping saw, jeweler's saws for inlay work, and finally, that Japanese curved edge mini saw that I mentioned earlier, which is kind of a niche tool, but it's something that I have found incredibly useful that uh, maybe not everyone would think of or use in their own shop. So that's a little treat for you guys at the end. start with a razor saw, also called a hobby saw, simply because this is just the easiest, most attainable, cheapest saw to get, and it can carry you a long way as far as doing really small cuts, fine, precise work, like cutting the notches for the lap joint on your X-brace, if you're doing an X-braced steel string guitar. Also, it can do things like start your notches for your nut slots and cut the notches into the kerfing for your back braces and your top braces to connect into the sides of your guitar. And what's coolest about these is simply that you can pick them up at a hobby store like a Hobby Lobby or Hobby Town USA or Michaels, AC Moore. AC Moore doesn't exist anymore, actually. Rest in peace. <laughs> uh, that, as far as I know, they've completely gone out of business. So forget about AC Moore. But you can find this saw pretty easily or just order one on Amazon. Probably spend about 10 bucks. In my own shop, I still use a razor saw to lay out the notches for my nut slots. However, I don't really use it for much else anymore just because I have so many tools and so many other ways of doing things. Uh, for example, when I cut the notches for the brace ends to tuck into the kerfing and the sides, I use a Dremel to do that, and I have a specific setup for doing that kind of work. But I really wanted to mention the razor saw because when you're first getting started, it carries you a long way.
Okay, also, I think it's good to have a dovetail saw and a carcass saw just for general work. These are both types of back saws. The dovetail saw is a bit smaller, and the carcass saw is a larger back saw. So doing some of your rough cuts early on in the process, making cross cuts, especially if you don't have power tools like a table saw or a band saw to make these cuts with, it's nice to have a large back saw, such as a carcass saw, to make those cuts. The dovetail saw comes into play further down the line for finer work. It's also a very good idea, depending on what way you go with your fret slotting technique, to have a specific dovetail saw that is set up for a 23 thousandths of an inch kerf. Why 23 thousandths of an inch? Why so specific? What that is, is that is like a standard, basically, for fret tang width. So the fret tang, of course, is, if you look at fret wire in cross-section, it looks like a T. That lower part of the T that actually gets embedded into the wood, that is your tang. And the fret slots, of course, need to precisely match the width of your tang so that they fit appropriately. Now, there's a whole table saw method of cutting your fret slots. That's what I use. But I also have a 23 thousandths of an inch handsaw, not for cutting all of the fret slots, although you can use it for that. Simply with a miter box and a template, you can cut all your fret slots with just a handsaw. But even with using the power saw method that I use, I still have a 23 thousandths of an inch kerf dovetail saw which you can get from Luthier's Mercantile or Stu Mac, I believe, also sells one. I still have that saw simply for deepening slots when they need to be deepened after I radius the fretboard. Okay, so to sum that up, get yourself a general purpose dovetail saw, a carcass saw, and a specific made just for Luthier's 23 thousandths of an inch kerf dovetail saw. Now, also for making just rough cuts early on in the process, it would be a good idea to have a good large pull saw, Japanese pull saw. One that I particularly like both for the price and just how good it is, is the Camelon, K-O-M-E-L-O-N, Camelon Speed Cut. But really any large Japanese pull saw, there's Many different types with Japanese names. Uh, I, I don't remember even what a lot of the names are off the top of my head. Really just any large saw like that for making rough cuts will work well as a, like a, a buddy to your carcass saw. In some cases you will find that a thicker saw with a heavy rib on it for rigidity works well for your rough cuts. In other cases you actually want the flexibility and the cutting direction of a Japanese pool saw. So it's good to have both. But if you know that you're going to be doing all your rough work with power tools, which most of the time that's what I'm doing as well, then you actually don't need either of those saws at all. So just so you know, if you have access to good equipment, you don't need them. 
All right, next, let's talk about the coping saw and the jeweler saw. I'm gonna lump these two together because the jeweler saw is essentially like a miniature coping saw. What a coping saw is, it's a frame, like a U-shaped frame with a handle, and mounted in that frame is a usually fairly thin and replaceable saw blade. So this is great for making curved cuts and particularly cuts that go deep. Essentially, a coping saw can replace a bandsaw for a lot of hand tool work. And with that said, you don't actually need a coping saw, similar to what I've talked about with the carcass saw and the Japanese pool saw, the, the large one that I talked about in the last section. You don't need these if you can accomplish the same tasks with your bandsaw or with other tools. If you have a scroll saw as well, that will essentially be the powered equivalent of your coping saw. I used to use a coping saw for certain tasks. I actually haven't touched my coping saw in a long time just because I tend to just walk up to the bandsaw for those jobs, especially now that I have two bandsaws, uh, so my smaller bandsaw is permanently set up with a small quarter-inch blade for doing curves and nice tight work like that. But when I used to have just one bandsaw and I'd have my big heavy resaw blade set up on there, it was such a pain to swap out the blades on the bandsaw that it actually made sense for me to just pick up a coping saw and, you know, grip my teeth and do the hand cut instead of relying on my power tools. So depending on your situation and depending on how much you want to lean on hand tools, you might want to have a coping saw for deep cuts and curves. A jeweler's saw I use all the time actually for inlay work. So inlay work is way too fine to use a, certainly not a bandsaw and even a scroll saw is too much for most inlay work. So a jeweler's saw, as I mentioned before, is a smaller coping saw with very, very thin blades. So thin that uh, depending on, there's usually three different sizes. There's like a medium size, a fine, and an extra fine. Depending on which one you're using, you can't even necessarily see the teeth. It's hard to tell what that you're it's hard to tell whether or not you're installing the blade in the correct direction sometimes. You have to actually rub the blade with your thumb to check which side has the teeth on them. So you can face the teeth in the direction you want them to face. And these blades, of course, just snap and break all the time. So they sell them in packs because um, you basically expect to break at least one blade, if not several blades, through the course of a project. So if you plan on doing any inlay work at all, a jeweler saw is pretty much a requirement. And lastly, I want to recommend getting at least one small dazuki saw, which again is a Japanese style pull saw. It's good to have a small one for very precise work. Now, I have a nice set of Dazuki saws that I use for a variety of tasks, and actually a lot of those tasks have been replaced by a saw that I found on Stumac called, simply enough, 
a Japanese curved edge mini saw. And basically it is a Dazuki saw, but with the cutting edge is curved in such a way to allow for precise spot cutting. So in any case where you're using it, you're only ever cutting in one precise spot at the apex of that curve. The rest of the teeth all curl away, so you never are worried that the teeth uh, on the forward end of the saw or the back end, basically the part of the saw that you're not looking at, you're never worried that those are going to be digging in elsewhere. It's hard through an audio format like this to describe all the scenarios where this actually comes in handy, so I'm just going to say, get one, try it out. I literally have no relationship with Stu Mac as far as getting some sort of affiliate cut from selling these. Um, if I knew of other places that sold them as well, I would mention them too. So there you have it. Just a good, solid saw to have. The Japanese Curved Edge Mini Saw. All right, and that's it, guys. We covered quite a bit, and there's quite a bit more that we could cover, but we don't need to go there. I think this was a great primer for saws for luthiers. We covered the razor saw, we covered dovetail saws, carcass saws, Japanese pool saws, coping saws, jeweler saws, and uh, lastly, I talked about that cool little Japanese curved edge mini saw. So, I hope you guys picked up some good stuff here, and in the next one, we're going to talk about a real critical piece of tooling for a guitar builder's workshop, and that is your set of chisels. Until then, bye for now. If you enjoyed this and you learned something here, please subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform that you are enjoying this on at the moment. And if you want to really learn more, take one of my structured online courses at ericschaferguitars.com. Or you can register for a hands-on guitar building workshop here with me in Burnville, Pennsylvania. Bye for now.